Does everyone have so much energy because they got an extra hour of sleep? Except everyone who has young children. Why do they do that to us? Why are we still doing this daylight savings thing? I'm so over it. For everybody who came to the 11 instead of the 9 because their children didn't sleep. It always happens. Yeah, way to go. It's always one person that I get to call out. At the nine, it was Dennis. So that's fine. I know, right? Um, (laughs) Today we're doing uh, James 4, 11 through 5, 6. Dennis jumped chapters. Uh, And my children were up at three, which was also two. And then we got to do it again. So uh, sorry if I glanced down. (laughs) this. Uh, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother and sister and judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. So who are you to judge your neighbor. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. This is my favorite part. Are you ready? Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail for the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver has corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Uh, You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages that you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Yay, let's talk about that. Dennis. (laughs) Thank you, Mariah. Father... uh, We just thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, even in this uh, place of worship, Lord, that you would speak to each and every one of us today through your scriptures. Lord, we thank you that you've uh, given these to us in the Holy Spirit by whom we can understand them and act on them. Uh, Father, we thank you for the offering we just took, that it would be used to glorify you and expand your kingdom. And Father, uh, 
I just thank you for the privilege of serving here with Marianne. And uh, we, uh, Lord, we love you and we love this congregation. And we pray your blessing over this congregation uh, today, Father. And even as we uh, continue to walk together, that you would help us walk the talk, Lord Jesus, as uh, only you can. We pray in Jesus' name. And the church agreed and said, Amen. 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 Well, we're continuing in our journey through the book of James, and um, we are coming, uh, turning the corner into the last chapter. So last week, uh, James focused on the uh, contrast um, between humility and pride, and uh, he called us into that lifestyle of humility, and he continues on this week in the flow of his argument, and he brings up three... uh, mindsets that really destroy community, that really uh, destroy the witness of the body of Christ. And um, he encourages us uh, to uh, turn from these things. And uh, by the Spirit's power, uh, we will do that today. Um, But James is uh, inviting us to say no to a general idea of having a superiority mindset. And... um, Three big errors that occur in the church. Uh, The first couple of verses, judging our neighbor. Uh, The second uh, section of the scripture this morning, uh, about boasting about our success. Mostly business success, but uh, there are other applications, I I believe. And then finally, deceiving ourselves with our wealth. And... um, He's asking uh, us to acknowledge these things, to see these things, which are at times difficult to see. And uh, so we're going to look at today, we're going to look at these, and then we're going to look at the antidotes. What do the scriptures say about uh, the antidotes to these things? And James is really, as we've said all along, is really just walking in the tradition of the words of Jesus. If you look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6... It's another way to have a pretty, pretty good uh, summary of this morning's uh, scripture. It says uh, in verses 37 and 38, Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And these are, uh, these are the, the, the words of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, which I believe James has gone a little bit further in a little more detail. So let's look at each of those three uh, problems, those three mindsets of superiority that uh, James is talking about this morning in, in turn. First of all, in verses 11 and 12, uh, judging our neighbor. And this uh, judging, as James says, uh, usually begins with slander. Uh, and it, he says, do not slander one another. And um, slander, uh, just in case you're somewhat confused, is different than gossip. Gossip is something that may be true, but it should not be repeated. It's just not, it's not uh, edifying, it's not uh, kind, it's not helpful. Uh, Slander, on the other hand, is something that is not accurate. Uh, Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister uh, actually 
speaks and uh, against the law and judges the law. So when we enter into judging, we abandon the gospel that brought us into the bottom uh, into the body of Christ. The gospel that uh, says that no matter who we are or what we've done, the cross of Christ has paid for and uh, has set us free from that debt to God, has brought us into the family, has brought us into relationship. And so when we speak about judging, we actually elevate ourselves above the scriptures. We elevate ourselves actually into the place of God and, and we find ourselves actually speaking against the law and sitting in judgment. And James says, that job is taken. That job is taken and uh, the one who's able to save and destroy. And so he concludes that first section is, so who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, what does this look like? It, It usually looks like us taking a position of superiority. There was a, the sad reality is that throughout the social media, you can find examples of Christian leaders uh, critiquing and complaining about other Christian leaders as if uh, their ministry had gotten big enough that they decided that they were now going to speak over the whole process. And uh, they couch this in other scriptures, which is the worst, because it misses the whole point. And what, what ends up happening uh, over and over again, and this breaks my heart. Uh, just in the last couple of weeks, there's been a major ministry leader from one part of the country critiquing in a very negative and dismissive way the ministry of another leader in another part of the country. I don't even know if this person knows this person. I think they're going by secondhand information a lot. But it was done in such a way that was uh, offensive as a believer. Because when we see one part of the body of Christ attacking another part of and this was an attack, attacking the other part of the body of Christ, what we're actually doing is we're actually attacking the bride of Christ. We're actually attacking Jesus' wife. That's what we're doing. Now, if someone attacks my wife, uh, that's, that's a troublesome prospect. It's worse, much worse with Jesus. We find ourselves, when we're judging someone, to be actually sitting in opposition to God in opposition to who God is and what he wants. Kanye uh, has uh, released a new album. Everybody, I've had a couple of texts from you about it, so you're just making sure your pastor's plugged into what's going on in the world. And uh, yes, uh, and this new album, he, he's got a song on there called Hands On. And one of the lyrics is this, What have you been hearing from the Christians? They'll be the first one to judge me. Make it feel like nobody loved me. And that, in fact, is happening all over, at least the limited view of Facebook I have. This, this uh, no way, this can't be real, you know, whatever. And, and, my, and then there's the others who are saying, well, this, this proves the gospel. Well, 
Kanye does not prove the gospel. <laughs> Kanye is one of millions of us who've, who've had to bend the knee before Jesus and ask for forgiveness of our sin. And praise God, if he's done that, and it sounds like the way he's singing that he has, we ought to be rejoicing that Jesus is king is all over the place, no matter who's saying it. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. So these comments that were made by this ministry leader just so discouraged me. And um, uh, we, we move out of the gospel and the grace of God into things that are motivated by fear and, and uh, desire to increase my own reputation, whatever it might be. And Jesus in Matthew 7 said this, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Actually, uh, someone uh, uh, in the first service uh, asked a question about that. And I would just say, you know, Jesus here is not talking about being, being prudent and looking around and being wise as to who you fellowship with and being wise, you know, where you go at certain times of the day. He's not uh, talking about uh, being uh, alert. What he's talking about is uh, sitting over someone in judgment about either their eternal destiny or uh, who they are as a person, especially as we uh, will see when they don't really know uh, and so, this, uh, this is a real problem. And it's throughout the body of Christ. And it is uh, the disappearance of humility that we can get into that kind of behavior. And uh, no one has the overall responsibility for the body of Christ. That's, that job's taken. And so, you might ask, well, Dennis, how do we deal with you know, real issues. Real issues that come up between people. Jesus has given us instructions on that. And it is to go to the person privately. It's to go to the person privately and to go in humility and to go with the intention of forgiving and to go with the intention of restoring. Not with the intention of tearing down and making ourselves look better. So in our congregation, if you're new here, we have a a document called our Social Covenant. It came out of the teachings of Jesus. It's just one page. And it describes how we will handle uh, times in our fellowship when someone does something or says something that's inappropriate. And we follow the teaching of Jesus. And it's all about going privately. It's about humility. It's about... Uh, drawing um, to that person with the intention of restoration. It's, it's about pointing out discrepancies between who they say they want to be and what they're doing. And it's to do that in humility, knowing that it could be us. And so we correct one another the way we would want to be corrected. And it implies that there's relationship. It implies that there's first-hand knowledge. It implies that there's, you know, uh, we see what's going on with each other. And this, this is the way that Jesus has intended for us to do it. And so 
what we see happening is absolute disobedience to that. And we see uh, judgment happening all over the place. And Jesus in Matthew 12 had really strong words for this. He said, But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Whew. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. Who are you to judge your neighbor? And Jesus is, as James has this entire book, telling us to watch our tongue, to be humble, to proceed. But he's not saying ignore things. He's just saying be careful and correct and treat others the way you would want to be treated. Now the good news, my friends, is that uh, the judging heart can be renewed by the gospel. The judging heart can be renewed by some very simple antidotes that the Holy Spirit gives us. The antidotes are, in this case, uh, to encourage and bless others. When we speak encouragement and blessing over others, we're actually doing uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the kingdom, and we're, we're denying, we're, uh, we're away an opposite 180 from judging. Yeah. And we're picking, now you're going to have an opportunity to do this this morning. So when we get to the end of the message and we have the uh, offering for the Thanksgiving baskets, the worship team's going to come up, we're going to have some worship and the prayer teams will be here and they will be... Uh, They will be in the power of the Spirit speaking encouragement over you. Amen. So you just go up and they will speak some encouragement over you. But you may be sitting over here and there may be somebody sitting over there that God gives you a word for, God gives you a word for to encourage someone else. So we're going to have a time uh, to defeat this attitude of judging. We're going to have the time of encouragement and blessing during that time body ministry, just encouraging and blessing each other. But this, and by the way, this also works on comparison and envy wonderfully. Yes. Uh, and a host of other remedies. It's like you could have a jar of encouragement and the claims on there would never be approved by the FDA. But that's actually, that's actually what works yes, sir. in the heavenly realm when we speak yeah. encouragement and blessing over each other. So that's our antidote to judging. So let's move on. The second thing that James talks about is this whole idea of boasting about our plans and our success and what we have going on. The passage begins with, now listen, which again is, come now. It's a, it's a call to account. Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we're going to go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Uh, notice the focus on business and money. The word there, business, is where we get the English word emporium. So the business is trading. These are traders. These are people who are going out throughout uh, perhaps the Roman Empire and they're trading stuff and their goal is to make money. And they're boasting that they're going to go here and there and, oh yeah, you should see the hot springs in Colossae. They're just magnificent. And we're going to go over there and we're going to have a conference and a convention. And so you, I want to bring this into today. Like this is, this is the boasting about our plans. 
And it can be about business, which is what James is dealing with here, but it could also be about our house, our renovation, our parenting, our our, our business, our preschooling, our schooling, uh, you know, uh, the wedding coming up. It could be a lot of things. And, and what what he's saying is these people are just in their own world with their own agenda going on and on. And then he said, wait a minute, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You're, you're, what's your life? It's just a mist that appears on the pages of history and then it vanishes. You're like a puff of an e-cigarette. Poof. <laughs> Poof. And he is using very vivid pictures here, but you're boasting in your arrogant schemes, and he says all such boasting is evil. So let's just unpack that a bit, because th- this is, the, this is the, the, the mode that we often get into. You know, and, and, and often it's just regular life, but it starts to take over. In Matthew 6, um, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's an issue of where our treasure is, and what happens is we get locked into our plans and our schemes and there's a great story uh, in uh, Luke chapter 12 of a guy who's got this amazing harvest happening and he says, oh, I know, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to take my barns down. I'm going to build some bigger barns. I'm going to build some bigger barns and put all my stuff in there and then I'm going to relax and take it easy. It's, it's, it's the precursor of that American dream of just being able to retire and do whatever I want or whatever. And uh, it's funny, we were studying that passage one night in small group, uh, maybe five years ago, and uh, one of the guys in our small group was literally considering, uh, he had a piece of working out equipment that had to do with climbing, and it wouldn't fit in his garage. So he was literally talking about raising the roof on his garage so he could fit this piece of equipment in there because it wouldn't fit anywhere. And we studied this passage... And he confessed to the group, he said, I'm not, I'm not building a new garage. I'm not building a new garage. Because in the story, Jesus says, you have no idea when your life will be demanded of you. And so this whole idea of I can insulate myself from life and the realities of life uh, without depending on God. That's the whole gist of this. And they're in their head. And I... I know what he's talking about. This is my life. Go back to January 15th, 1995. I'm in the middle of planning and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and we're introducing this new brand and we're doing X, Y, and Z. I'm in Japan and at 5.46 in the morning, a 7.2 earthquake rolls through Kobe, Japan and destroys it. Absolutely wipes it out. Expressways toppled, bridges cave in, Buildings fall down, 35,000 buildings fall down. And in 22 seconds, my entire world is wiped out. My world as I, I knew it. My office building, my new brand plans, my house, my family, everything. <laughs> Vaporized. 
22 seconds. Within the next week or so, 10,000 people would die. And during the earthquake, a product display bookcase fell within inches of my head and permanently reordered the way I think. In the face of this and uh, moving from destruction to awakening to some realities. In 1 Timothy, Paul says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Success and wealth put me in a place where I was in my own headspace all the time. What am I going to do? And everything revolved around me. There was a best-selling book at the time by Tom Wolfe called The Bonfire of the Vanities. And in The Bonfire of the Vanities, these uh, Wall Street wizards who were manipulating the markets and wearing you know, $14,000 suits and $400 pairs of shoes, they called themselves masters of the universe. They, that's what they called each other. And that's what James is dealing with. This is highly relevant scripture because these are people who are just, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to go here and I'm going to go there and I'm going to make this money. And so God called that out in me and brought me to repentance in that because I was that guy who was so plugged into what I was trying to accomplish that I didn't have vision for what was going on around me. My kids, my wife, people on the street, people in the company. And so this is this attitude of being caught up in our program is, is often why we miss what God's doing. We miss what he's doing with people who walk by, people we come into contact with. The, the ultimate missing God's program story in the Bible is the parable of the Good Samaritan. We see here uh, these two religious guys, a, a priest and a Levite, uh, walking towards Jerusalem, just walk right on by this guy who's been robbed and left for dead. And they are, uh, no doubt, uh, thinking about their moment at the temple, their shift, their responsibility. Uh, they don't want to touch anybody, especially a, uh, if it's a person who's dead, because then they get disqualified from all that. And so, in a sense, their religious agenda and their duties and whatever headspace they were in that morning uh, causes them to walk right on by. And Jesus says that a Samaritan, who were the wretched people of the day, according to the Jews, actually stops. If he were telling that story today, he might, he might tell us that it was the, the gay woman who stopped to take care of that person. Or if you're a Democrat, he might say, that's the Republican who stopped. Or you're a Republican, that's the Democrat who stopped. Or maybe the Green Party guy stopped. <laughs> he, he is telling this story because 
only one person entered into that guy's world at that moment. And there were agendas, some you might even say good, that caused him to miss it. And so it's this failure to be present. And interestingly, this guy lying there just reminds me of how many people have been in my office working through major life issues and they've, they're telling me something they've never told another human being. They're telling me that there's part of their story that's so painful, they've stuffed it for years and they've never been able to, to share. And that, that gift to actually listen to someone's life um, changes everything. It changes my understanding of that person, but it changes me. Amen. It changes me and gets me into touch with things that uh, I'm not in touch with. That, that moment with him leaning over, I can imagine him talking to him. What happened? How are you doing? Where's your family? You know, I was bringing home money to feed my family and I've got five kids and they're starving right now. I don't know. I don't know what happened in the conversation, but he picks him up, puts him on his donkey, binds his wounds, takes him to the inn, pays for everything, asks the innkeeper to take care of him, tells him, you know, if it's more, I'll come back and I'll, on my way home. It's a, it's a moment of humanity. And so rather than being up here and, and being superior, we're here entering into the life of that person. Yeah. And we get the chance to do that almost every day. Almost every day. It's amazing what you find out when you stop and be present. You know, at our men's retreat, we were talking about being men of presence, to just be present. You know, there's some days out there I'm not present all the time because things are happening, but like I'm trying to be present because Jesus was present. Yes. Jesus was present all the time. And he saw things that were going on around him. He saw what his father was doing and he was ready to get in. We're missing so much because we are following our game plan. So James summarizes this section uh, in verse 17. He says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. He's, he's really talking about those of us who are so busy, we know what we're supposed to do, but we're so busy, we just walk right by. We just walk right by. And we may not be actually boasting, but we're consumed with what we're doing. And that's the same thing. That's the same thing. We are, we are consumed with our thing and we're missing what God's doing around us. So... Th- the good news is there's an antidote to that. There's an antidote to the boasting or the, the self-centeredness around my plans, and that is caring and serving and listening. Caring and serving and listening. And slow down, enter into someone else's story, listen, care, serve, or just get off of your agenda and serve in someone else's. Serve, and there's lots of opportunities for serving around us. Simple things like raking leaves, simple things, but maybe 
even more awesome things of packing up Thanksgiving dinners and uh, distributing them uh, that we'll be able to do over the next couple of weeks. Um, but that ethos is uh, actually the ethos of um, the, uh, the people that are on the right-hand side of your program this week. And I can say this of all our missionaries, but since they're there, Michael and Bryn Kelly, they're, they're both in their 70s. After being healed in a miraculous way by God, they have purposed themselves to bring that healing to other people. And uh, it is their entire focus for the last 20 years has been all about this. And they're not, they're not retiring. They're not banking on their retirement. They're serving and loving and working in the healing of others. Please pray for them this week. Pray for them that they would be encouraged. And uh, as I said, I can say this about all of our missionaries, but they're here today. There's their picture. Uh, pray for them. Encourage them um, that they would... And, and the characteristic of their ministry is they're always ready to stop and listen to someone's story and to bring prayer and healing into that story. So that's the second thing James is uh, warning us about and, and leading us into. And the third thing is... Uh, the warning of deceiving ourselves with wealth. And uh, as has been pointed out, you're already in the top 1% or maybe higher of all human beings who have ever lived. All of us are. And I know there are differences in this room in wealth, but we're all, in the grand scheme of things, unbelievably wealthy people. So we need to take this to heart. Um, And James here appears to be addressing both wealthy Christians and wealthy non-Christians. Because in chapter 1, verse 10, he's uh, talking clearly about believing people who are wealthy. And in chapter 2, verse 6, he's talking clearly, uh, in following, he's talking clearly about uh, uh, the wealthy uh, that are uh, blaspheming the name of the God we serve. So I think that's probably non-believers. But he's really addressing both because it's a universal problem. I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago and the, uh, this fact was shared that according to best estimates, the balance sheets, that is the, the sum total of the value of land, buildings, and endowments and reserves of the church in America, all, the whole church, uh, is $7 trillion. $7 trillion. Now, uh, Senator Warren wants to give universal health care to the whole country at a cost of $20 trillion estimated. So $7 trillion. I don't think Jesus had it in mind that we'd be sitting on $7 trillion worth of stuff while lots of people are in harm's way, hurting, and heading to an eternal separation from God. But that is part of the thing. And so... This, this wealth tends to insulate us from reality. We tend not to travel in circles that where need is present. We tend to miss the kinds of things that are going on. That's why we need the brothers and sisters who are poor to be part of our congregations. So we can understand what realities they're facing. 
and do something about it. So this warning comes to the whole church, I believe, and um, it is, uh, it's a real struggle. Uh, I know that wealth creates attitudes and, and it creates distance, but it also creates, as James says, um, desires that are not right. And um, it causes us to mistreat others by omission or by ignorance, but nevertheless to treat them that way. A book was written uh, that illustrates this. And, and James has switched over from business people that are traitors, the emporium word in uh, chapter 4, verse 13. Now he's talking about landowners. And he's talking about hoarding wealth. I think $7 trillion counts as hoarding, don't you? He's hoarding wealth, but they, they're, pay, they're failing to pay the wages of the workers who mowed their fields. Uh, the harvesters' cries have reached the Lord, and they're living on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence and, and fattening. And uh, I think we can talk about comfort. I think we can talk... That word luxury there is a soft life. I think a lot of us lead a soft life. Um, some of us have uh, been fattened. Uh, for the day of slaughter, uh, it's a it's a rich picture that you know draws me in. So how Lord is this happening? How is this happening? Well, let me give you one example of how it happened between 1880 and 1950. Between 1880 and 1950, five thousand African Americans were lynched in the United States of America, in most cases, this is super well documented, most cases with active involvement from a church. You may find that hard to believe, but uh, James Cone has written a book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. If you've not read it, I encourage you to read it because it documents, painstaking research documents that in the post Reparation stage. So we declared the end of slavery in 1863. We started the process of reconstruction. From 1863 to about 1880 or so, uh, there were efforts to give uh, every slave 40 acres and tools. And there, there was an actual movement. And it sort of crumbled on itself because of money. Because of wealth. Most of these murders, not all, but most of them, happened in the South. And most of them were motivated by economic crisis. The, the end of slavery had created an economic crisis for landowners and people with money. And this was the result. Now, I believe this is prophetic words we're hearing from James. It happens because... There's unanticipated consequences of some of the rush we have to maintain or protect our wealth. So, this is the picture, and here's what Paul tells Timothy to tell the church, and I'm going to do it as faithfully as I can. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything 
for our enjoyment. John Wimber, uh, the man who started the vineyard movement, uh, he always said, I am a penny in the Lord's pocket and he can spend me any way he wants. I'm a penny in the Lord's pocket and he can spend me any way he wants. The Lord took David and Carlene Heath, our ministry partners in Nigeria, and he spent their lives to translate the Bible for one tribe in Nigeria. That's how he spent their lives. Dave and Pam Ping were here, have said yes to the Lord, and he's spent their lives training people on how to walk in the practical obedience to the scriptures. 30 years plus. Penny in the pocket of the Lord, and he can spend me, and he's spending Marianne and my life here at Marymount Church. That's, how, that's what he's doing. And that's what he wants to do with each of us, that we would be open to however he wants to do it. And the antidote to wealth and the deception of wealth is giving. Generous, hilarious giving. Because when we part with our offerings on Sunday, when we part with our Thanksgiving offering, when we part with our things, we gain freedom from them. We, we, we make a statement that it is not these things that create our security, but it is God who creates our security. And we give lavishly. We give lavishly. This is a generous congregation. I think you know what I'm talking about. But when you give, uh, and you give generously, you actually are setting yourself free from a lot of the ills that James is talking about here. And you are opening yourself to the world uh, that is run by God and where security is provided by God, not by our stuff. So this is the, this is the message of James. If we can trade judging in, uh, if we can trade boasting in, if we can trade the, de- the deceit of wealth in, then we can have a community that instead of being ruined is a community that shines where, where the very best of what the Holy Spirit can do is alive in a congregation. We can shine to those around us. We can be the community that does not seek power, does not seek retaliation, but that actually walks in forgiveness and freedom uh, from all the things that God uh, has warned us about this morning. And that's the beauty of the gospel. We trade in not just our sin and not just uh, receiving because of the cross of Christ forgiveness for that and adoption into God's family. But we receive the Holy Spirit and we have the power to bless and encourage instead of judging. We have the power to listen and care and serve instead of boasting. And we have the power to give instead of being deceived by our wealth. And this is the this is the teaching that James is driving home today and he's actually inviting us to respond uh, to this in truth and grace and freedom. To let God work in our hearts and however God's been working in your heart 
as we've been going through these different examples, the Holy Spirit calls us and makes it super clear. So the, the worship team's going to come up. We're going to have a prayer team on each side of the room. The prayer teams are going to be ready to bless you and encourage you. Uh, we're going to start just instrumental so you can meditate, let the Lord speak to you, and then if there's someone here you want to encourage, go and encourage them or bless them. If there's someone uh, here that needs encouragement and blessing, go to the prayer teams and they will speak the words of God over you. If there's uh, someone who needs um, to serve or listen or care, then there are plenty of opportunities to do that here, whether it's simple things like raking leaves in a couple of Saturdays uh, or going out and distributing Thanksgiving baskets, or maybe there's something uh, here where your gifts are uniquely qualified to bless the whole body, then move in those. And if you're new here and you want to learn more about all that, I'll be at the, I'll be at the uh, leader's desk in the, in the lobby. And then finally, uh, the ushers are going to uh, pass. Ushers, uh, do you want to do the... Yeah, do you want to... The ushers are going to pass the bag for our Thanksgiving offering and maybe it's just an opportunity for you to give. But however God is working in your heart... I bless you to be aware of what James has warned you of and I bless you to receive what the Holy Spirit wants you to have as you walk with Jesus into the vision he has for his body here on the earth. So Father, we love that we can worship you as a body here on Sunday. We love, Lord, that we can give. We love that we can serve. We love that we can... Bless others, Lord. Help us to be that, that congregation that so shines because of love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for conquering the grave. Yes, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that in that majestic moment, you reversed all evil and sin. You established your kingdom. You burst into life. And you have given us the power in your spirit uh, to move from judging to blessing, from boasting to serving, and from deceiving by wealth to giving generously. So we speak these things, Lord, over one another. As we go from here, Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read this blessing together. Let's speak this over each other. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Amen. Bring the kingdom this week, church.